Hello, everyone. Um, is my mic working? OK, here it goes. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Morgan Smith. I am a reporter with the Texas Tribune. Um, I want to welcome you to the Tribune Festival. Um, and it looks like we have a really great crowd in here um, after lunch. Um, so that's great. We're here to talk about the politics of prevention, look at what's next for the battle over abortion in Texas, and also other efforts to address women's health issues in the state. Um, we have four people up here on stage that are involved um, in varying roles on um, different sides of those issues. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and get to introducing them. Um, directly on my left, I have Emily Cook, who is the political director of the anti-abortion group Texas Right, for Life, right to Life. Um, next, I have Senator-elect uh, Brian Hughes, who is a Republican from Mineola who has served in the legislature since 2002 um, as a state representative and is now um, now won his Republican primary and, and doesn't have an opponent in November. So um, he'll be in the Senate. Um, next, I have Heather Busby, who is the executive director of NARAL Pro-Choice Texas and a former Travis County assistant attorney. And then um, on the end, we have State Representative Jessica Farrar, a Democrat who has represented her Houston district since 1995. Um, and she is the chairwoman of the House Women's Health Caucus. Um, just a brief um, housekeeping before we get to the main event. Um, I'd like to just remind everyone in the audience that we're here to listen to the people on the panel. So if you could just hold any kind of clapping or outbursts, um, that would be great. Um, we also are going to reserve about the last third of our time for, for questions from y'all. So definitely like make a note if something comes up that you, that you want to ask about at the end of our time here today. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, Ms. Busby, I would love to start with you. Um, almost exactly two months ago, the US Supreme Court largely gutted um, House Bill 2, which was a 2013 Texas abortion law that required all abortion facilities to meet hospital-like standards, including minimum sizes for rooms and doorways and pipelines for anesthesia. Um, after that decision, uh, where do we stand now in terms of women's access to abortion in Texas? Have we started to see any kind of effect on the ground? Well, the reality is that the system was not completely decimated. We now have fewer than half the clinics we had before. So we've seen a, a drastic reduction in access. Um, the good news is that because of the Supreme Court's decision, the remaining clinics can remain open and there's a path for other clinics to open. However, that doesn't just happen overnight. Um, fortunately, with admitting privileges also being struck down, more physicians can actually um, practice medicine and perform abortions in, in clinics like they could before. And so we are seeing at least that is a, is a relief. But um, practically speaking, there are still long wait times. Um, those in our state who face the most barriers to healthcare access overall, who are facing the most barriers to raising their children in a healthy environment and providing for them, are the ones who are affected most adversely by the effects of House Bill 2 that we still see today. And um, before, before House Bill 2, we had about 40 clinics that were open across the state, and now we're down to about 19. So we've seen about 20 close in that period. Correct. Um, 
what I mean, what you talked about the path um, to reopen, what exactly is going to be involved in that for some of the clinics that have shuttered? Well, the reality is that um, many of them were, you know, had to sell the building or give up their lease um, because it was a two-year time period. Um, getting relicensed by the state is an onerous process that can take up to a year. It's costly. It takes time. So, you know, it was a wonderful victory to have the Supreme Court affirm that we knew that this law was a sham. It was based on lies. It was meant to take away access to health care. And... But the reality is that we we have such a fight in the state, and we're already seeing it. The Department of State Health Services, not two days after, started again with the hit. So we are looking at um, an uphill battle to increase access to health care overall, and especially to reproductive health care. Okay. Um, Representative Hughes, you were among those who passed that law, so maybe, um, and then maybe, Ms. Cook, you could talk about what some of the next steps for you guys after you know, the loss at, at the high court. Thanks so much. We sh we'll talk a lot today, I hope, about the little unborn babies. We're going to talk about them a lot. That's obviously what this debate is about. On clinic regulations, I want to point something out. And we're going to have a friendly discussion. We get along well. These are important issues. They're very personal ones, I recognize. It's tough stuff to talk about, but let's talk about clinic regulations. Many will recall the Kermit Gosnell case in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dr. Gosnell was convicted of murdering and three little babies right after he delivered them and also doing all kinds of horrible things to women. If you, I would commend to you the report of the grand jury. The grand jury, Philadelphia County, uh, Pennsylvania, good Democratic district attorney was in charge of the grand jury. One of the clinic regulations that we hear a lot uh, mentioned and thrown at us is uh, what does it matter how wide the hallways are, how wide the doorways are. That's one of the, one of the regulations that we put on day surgery centers that we also wanted to put on abortion facilities. So think about the width of the hallways, the width of the doors. If you look at that grand jury report, it's online, Philadelphia County, Pennsylvania, 2011. They specifically cite the fact that when the folks from the ambulance, when the paramedics arrived to help these women in this clinic, the narrow hallways and narrow doors made it difficult for them to get into the women in time. So let me just say the clinic regulations are real. Now, there's a nut, there, the Supreme Court left us plenty of room to go back and deal with that again. We're disappointed in that ruling, but clinic regulations are important. They're about health and safety. There's a reason we have these regulations on day surgery centers other than abortion clinics. Um, and maybe I'll get to Ms. Cook in a second, but I wanted to ask um, Representative Farrar, um, you know, we talk about the, the unborn babies and, you know, we're talking about abortion clinics that have shut down, but these are also clinics that provide other services to women that have closed. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the consequences beyond access to abortion? Yes, um, I'm glad to. Uh, thank you for letting me be on this panel. Um, I think one of the things that we really have to look at is what the decisions of state leaders um, have, that have, they've made, what the consequences are. And that is, I'm sure many people in this room um, are aware of a state study that was recently uh, published about how Texas leads the nation in maternal mortality. And so the fact that it's a combination of different things, but the fact that we have cut family planning dollars, which also, by the way, reduces the abortion rate, um, that uh, we, have we continue to divert medical dollars uh, toward non-medical providers, including uh, 
CPCs, uh, crisis pregnancy centers, that, that um, in an effort to dissuade women from abortions, um, freely tell them, misinform them, uh, let them know that, or tell them that their pregnancy is not as far along as, as it is, try to delay it to get them beyond the 20-week period, and so on. Um, and um, I, I think that, you know, the, I think these decisions have, have uh, affected this maternal mortality rate, and I, I think it's, it's a terrible shame that here in Texas, where we have uh, major internationally uh, renowned uh, medical centers in, in Houston and Dallas and San Antonio, uh, we have the, we lead the nation in, in maternal mortality. Uh, where we are not a a, a poor state, uh, we are not Mississippi, and I think we need to quit trying to be Mississippi um, because um, we have we have we can do better. And I think when we're focusing on issues like. Um, uh, fetal tissue uh, and uh, burial or cremation and other things, we're missing the opportunity to do what's, what's really right. Uh, we have opportunities to, the, the study says that uh, w women are, are dying because they're not having, they're not having access to health care and they're not having it in a continuum. And so when we cut, uh, when we cut the Medicaid uh, women's health program just to do away with Planned Parenthood, to hurt Planned Parenthood, well, there was more than half of the clinics that went away. And women go to these clinics not just for abortion. In fact, that's a very small amount. They go there because, again, Texas state leaders have decided we're not going to expand Medicaid and we're not going to put something else in place except complain about Obamacare. And so when we, when we, when we leave the nation as well in terms of the uninsured rate. Well, of course we're going to of course we're going to have the, the highest maternal mortality rate, and and I think that's where we really need to be focused on is saying what we've put in place has not worked, and let's figure out a way to save the women and to and to give them healthy pregnancies. And as we all know, women are the leaders of their families, and so they're relied upon for so many things. So there's there's born children that are relying on them, and um, and I think this also the, you know we're focusing on these other issues when look at look at um, another problem of mine is the, of the the condition of the children and child protective services and I've had many of those cases uh, um, come through my door of and and that system is just needs so much so much work uh, so much uh, help and uh, when we force people to be parents that are not willing are not able or for whatever the circumstances to be the parents that every child deserves to have well, they, they fall into the system, and uh, it's, a, it's a deplorable um, system in some ways. I, yeah, um, I mean, I'm gonna, so, we're going yeah, to no, no, yeah, go return to a lot of the issues that you raised um, later in our conversation, but um, getting back to kind of the fallout after the HB2 decision, um, Ms. Cook, can you just t talk to us a little bit about, I mean, this was a huge law for you guys and now it's uh, it's been virtually gutted what are what are what are, what are y'all going to be looking at next session in terms of um trying to address you know what has what was the supreme court uh took down sure i'd like to um address a couple of the points brought up a minute ago right now texas state the state of texas is funding women comprehensive women's health care programs at an unprecedented level since before 2011. i mean in the last legislative session senator nelson put in over a hundred million dollars into comprehensive primary health care providers we have a network of physicians across the state who are providing services to women and the rub is it's just not taxpayer funding of abortion clinics these people are uh, are providing health care services uh, to take 
take care of women and children all across the spectrum of their life. And that's where our taxpayer funds should be going, right. not to abortion clinics. Right. Yeah. The second I'd like to address is the maternal mor morbidity uh, study that came out recently. Even the researchers in that study cited they didn't know uh, what the correlation was uh, for uh, this heightened maternal death. And I think it's very important that we understand that in Texas, first of all, when you look at the maternal death rate, the complications arising from elective abortion are not in a separate category. When you say the term maternal death, that includes uh, abortion complications. Um, and I think it's important for us to be able to understand adequately what is causing maternal deaths for the state to separate the, um, to separate complications from elective abortion versus other maternal-related deaths. The state task force uh, on healthcare morbidity, uh, maternal death morbidity, uh, came out uh, was came out about September 1st, and the three leading causes of maternal death in Texas that they found was hypertension, cardiac arrest, and drug overdoses. Those are issues that are not related to reproductive issues. And so we have to, before we start hollering about the maternal death rate in Texas, we need to understand what is causing and attack those problems uh, on an individual basis. Okay, I'm so, gonna stop you at, and to, yeah, let's sure. get a response to that. And then we're gonna, I still wanna hear what's next after HB2 from you guys, sure. but, but so let's address that first. So I'm gonna start with the maternal mortality because at the root of our problem, and regardless of, you know, whether or not it actually has doubled or it was that high along, the fact that we cannot dispute is that it is unreasonably, unacceptably high. And it is an indication that this state is failing some of the most vulnerable people in the state. Hypertension, what could be, you know, how could that be addressed? Perhaps access, greater access to healthcare, such as expanding Medicaid, that's one place to start. And you know, you try and say it has nothing to do with reproductive health care, but reproductive health care does not exist in a vacuum. It's part of the larger spectrum of care. And, and many of the people who go to family planning clinics also receive those kind of screenings for hypertension, for diabetes. That's their only, so many of them, that is their only access point, their entry point into a medical system where they can then have those other issues addressed. The truth is that the maternal mortality rate in Texas is high and it is disproportionately affecting African-American women. And that, to me, signals a problem of institutional racism that has continued to be perpetuated by our state leadership and our Texas legislature. So that's what I'd like to say. I, would, I, I concede that it is complicated and you can't point to just one factor. It is a very complicated issue, just as people's lives are complicated and the way that they live them. Now, you know, I've... <laughs> been hearing a lot of twisting of the facts. I, I hear Ms. Cook trying to implicate that abortion is somehow responsible for this maternal mortality rate, and then the next breath she says that it's not related to reproductive health care. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't twist the facts to fit your own personal narrative, your own religious ideology, and your own political goals. Does, so, the, does the death rate include abortion complications or not? We know, like this has been studied to death. Women are not dying from abortions. It is one of the safest procedures in the nation. And you can make all the excuses. You can say it. It does not make the facts true. It, the facts speak for themselves. Guys, keep it down, please. Um, so, but let's get, so let's get into this question of the high maternal mortality rate. We can disagree about what the causes might be, but 
I mean, I think regardless, this seems, this is an important issue. That's not something we want to be happening in our state. Representative Hughes, anything, or sorry, Senator Hughes, uh, for your um, upcoming session. I mean, do you have plans, and, and Representative Farrar, I'd like to get you in on this too, to kind of take Take this into account in, in legislation that you're proposing. As I know, my friend Representative Farrar and we'll all recall, uh, over the last few sessions, a lot of money has been moved around. In 2011, there were some funds moved away from Women's Health Services. There's no question about that. It was a tough budget cycle. There were many priorities. The following session, I think we all agree, the, the numbers don't lie. The following session, all the money that was moved from Women's Health was restored, plus another $100 million. So I don't think there's a question about that. Now, we're not talking about alternatives to abortion. I'd like to discuss that as well. That's an excellent program that helps mothers after they have the children, helps them with all kinds of social services. But women's health funding, not alternatives to abortion, that's been increased in Texas. What's different? We put rules in place that said this is going to go to providers that provide a whole range of women's health services, but not elective abortion services, because we recognize uh, good folks can differ on these issues, obviously, on that particular issue. Even the polling tells us, even folks who are strongly pro-choice are generally not in favor of their tax dollars being used for elective abortions. And so we brought more providers in, provided more money, but we segregated out those abortion providers. So if you're talking about comprehensive women's health, it's being offered in Texas. We're recruiting new providers. More money is being put in every session. So I don't, I, the numbers don't lie. There's really no question about that. The funding is being increased. And let's keep looking at it. Let's address the morbidity right. You, you bet. The state has a responsibility to do that. And, and Jessica and I have worked together on so some of those things. Expand, vote to expand Medicaid then next We're session? talking about women's health, not Medicaid. Medicaid is, okay, listen. Okay, let, okay let's talk about, if you want to talk, well, maybe, you I mean, let's talk about question, Medicaid. Okay. I mean, maybe the question Medicaid. is, do you think that the current funding levels are adequate or should there oh, be more resources? Okay. Medicaid is a program that nobody wants to be in. It's like putting more people on the Titanic. Fewer, listen, hey, fewer, talk to docs. Fewer and fewer providers are participating in Medicaid. It's a broken system. The Women's Health Program is a different animal and funding for women's health in general. So of course, oh, let me, let me answer. the Women's Health Program that don't provide any medical care. Well, those are separate that's issues. That's we're sending our money? No, ma'am, and you know that, you we know that's not. We are sending our money. 1.6 million dollars went to okay. a crisis pregnancy center group. The second highest award under the Healthy Texas And a hundred million dollars in new money and a separate pot, as you know, went for broad women's health services. I'd love to talk about the crisis. Then why aren't the numbers doing, of people doing served work. increasing? If, if they're you're doing throwing money work. into a broken system, is what you're doing. Well, that was, that's what Medicaid would be. We're trying to make a system that works, that provides people real services. Medicaid provides medical care for people who need to access it. If they could find a doctor who would we offer We have the it, highest would. amount of uninsured in this state, and I don't yeah. see any move by the Texas legislature to address that fundamental problem for every man, woman, child in this state to be able to access the health care they need. That should be the goal of the Texas if you're talking about women's health and women's health funding, that continues to increase. About it will in continue to increase. That includes women's health. Maybe uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but to be enrolled in the Texas women's health. Women, Texas Women's Healthy Program, I think they have to be Medicaid eligible in order to be a service provider right. under that program. That's right. Um, so these are clinics who are receiving taxpayer funding for comprehensive health care and not subsidizing uh, now, the abortion industry. It doesn't industry. take much to look into what, wh who this grant went to and who their subcontractors are, including a provider that is no longer in business, including two crisis pregnancy centers that are not providing the full range of reproductive health options. Like, it's not, it's not the answer. And what's happening is this money is being funneled into ideological groups that are completely based on opposing abortion. Most of them also op op oppose 
uh, contraceptives. They believe that contraceptives, wrongly believe that contraceptives are abortifacients. And so that's where the that. state is sending its money. Right. You don't have to even dig that hard to find that out. No. And there's no accountability for those CPCs, which is something that, that okay. the leadership has, has fought. Um, a couple of things, and with, with all due respect, Senator, um, we, uh, you, we, the, you cannot spend your tax dollars on abortions. Since 1976, federal law has yeah. said that we can't do that. Um, and so, and so right. no, I just want to make that clear. That's right. um, uh, second of all, um, when, when the state withdrew from the Medicaid women's health program, we, the, the, the providers just were no longer there. So if I was in the shoes of the leadership, I would have said, okay, this is my ideology, but you know what? We're gonna build up one system before we take out the next. And they didn't, they just took it out um, to punish Planned Parenthood. But the, 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 the effect was it, 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 it hurt real people, real women who, who lead these families. Um, and, and the other thing is, I think something that we forget about with the Medicaid system is that we already pay into the Medicaid system. The problem is, our, our dollars, when they, go, when they go to Washington, they don't come back. But if we, so they go to Mississippi or other, other places. Um, but um, but it's, if, if we did participate, or what, the part that we do participate in, it's a $7 to $3 match. So we put up $3, the feds give us seven. I mean, that's, that's a great deal. Uh, but so not only are we giving into a system we don't get back in, we're, we're, we're missing that opportunity. And uh, by the way, you're speaking of tax dollars, when someone shows up at your county hospital district and doesn't have, doesn't have Medicaid, doesn't have any, um, any other form of insurance, guess what, Harris County, uh, whatever county you're in, you, those tax dollars, those taxpayers in that county pay for that person 100%. So that's just not a wise use of tax dollars either. Um, I'm going to shift gear. I think we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about, about Medicaid, but I wanted to shift gears to um, another big piece of news that happened um, this summer shortly after the HB2 ruling came down. Um, Texas health officials announced a new rule change um, that would affect uh, people who provide health care services to women, including abortion clinics. Um, in July, under Governor Greg Abbott's directive, um, the Texas Department of Health Services uh, proposed a new measure that would require fetal remains to be either cremated or, or buried. Um, this has touched off some pretty intense um, debate and opposition both from the medical community, funeral homes, reproductive rights advocates, um, including, you know, who's gonna pay for the costs associated with this rule? Is this going to apply to women who miscarry in their homes? How is all of that gonna work? Uh, Representative Hughes, is this, is this an ad additional regulation that we need? Do you think that this is something that's gonna improve public health in Texas? Well, thank you for that, and, and it does get back to the issue that I think you were talking about before. We wanna focus as much as we can uh, as we as we come alongside the mother, encourage her, help her, give her the services we can. We want to make sure we're not forgetting about the little unborn baby. Let's talk about House Bill 2 on this point. The Supreme Court opinion on House Bill 2, it dealt with one part of the bill. You'll recall there were two pretty major parts of House Bill 2. One was the clinic regulations, the health and safety conditions. That was struck down narrowly. However, the heart of House Bill 2, and you'll recall this, the heart of House Bill 2, it said when the little baby has been in her mother's womb for five months, it's a long time. For five months, studies show us that she can feel pain at that point. Some doctors differ. Some say it's a little earlier. Some say it's a little bit later. But at five months, there's general belief that the little baby can feel pain. And so the Texas legislature said, 
we're going to protect that little baby from abortion at that point. You, you probably know this. That was not challenged in court. The Supreme Court left that intact. So that's the law in Texas. So that hasn't changed. So speaking of the baby, it's so, it's just unspeakable to talk about these things and about the procedures, but it's real. It really happens. That little baby has all the chromosomes it's ever going to have. It has the fingers. It has the toes. It's a little human being. And so we have laws uh, in our country in Western civilization, in civilization in general, where we respect the bodies of those who have departed. It makes so much sense for us to respect those little babies just like we do full-grown adults after they pass away. So you, you are in favor of this, of this new rule? Absolutely. Mandating. Absolutely. Um, I would like to get Representative Farrar and, and <clears throat> Ms. Busby in on, I mean, there just has been a lot of public discussion of this. And I mean, just the idea that a woman who suffers a miscarriage in her home would then have to somehow get the remains of her, of her miscarried child somewhere to be, I mean, it's just, there just seems to be so many layers of this. And I mean, is this something that, that you guys feel is needed or are there other ways to address maybe some of these concerns? You know, I would follow the medical providers on this, um, both the Texas Medical Association and the Texas Hospital Association, and the funeral uh, folks as well, who, who would stand to make a lot of money, by the way. Um, don't think this is, this is a good idea. I mean, remember, let, let's go back to reality. And, and when someone has a miscarriage at five months, it, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible experience. The family's already going through so much. I mean, this was something that they were, the family was looking forward to. Um, and, and we have this, this terrible situation. And to put them through the scenario you're talking about um, of having to, on top of what they're already going through, uh, realize, say, uh, you know, if I don't get these remains uh, to, to the, the correct authorities, I, I could be in trouble. Again, why are we, we're, we're talking about something that, again, we're not, we're not addressing the real issues. And so why, why are we not focusing more? And that's what I would ask the state leadership is, why are we not focusing on getting this maternal mortality rate down, getting not just that, but realizing that there are a lot of uh, problem pregnancies and how do we help these pregnancies um, be healthy pregnancies? We know that getting them in to see the doctor sooner is, 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 it adds to the success of the pregnancy and so on. Why are we not focusing on those things? And, and instead of these other issues that are, um, that have never been issues before, by the way, but, but, um, but they're great. Um, it's election time, we know this, and, and I don't want to question anyone's um, motives here, but, but the fact is, is um, why, are, um, why are we focusing on that when there are real issues that we need to be focusing on, and, and we're not doing that. And when we don't do that, more people are affected by, by the policies and, and, and the failed opportunities that, that state leaders um, are, are taking. And Ms. Cook, I know that Texas Right to Life has been um, involved in these conversations about this new rule as well. Have you guys asked for any changes to, to the rule um, and, and what's kind of the status of that? We, we were present at the hearing uh, for the DISHES hearing for this new rule, and agency officials have repeatedly assured us that the interpretation of the rule as written has nothing to do with requiring women who are suffering through a horrible miscarriage at home to have to abide by these uh, by these new regulations. The onus is on the elective abortion clinics to uh, provide adequate uh, burial burial uh, situations for these tiny unborn humans. Um, so we, we did submit comments uh, re regarding the miscarriage issue and I don't think they made it into uh, the final rule, but the agency officials repeatedly um, assure us that uh, women who are going through a miscarriage at home are not subjected uh, 
to, to have to figure out how to, how to do this. We're talking about the dignity of an unborn human life, and we afford dignity to deceased bodies in all sorts of situations across our state, and the unborn deserve nothing less than that. But you say your comments are not in the final rule, but agency officials have just said that this isn't going to I think apply during the, if I remember correctly, um, during the committee hearing testimony with agency officials addressed the issue. Mm -hmm. um, getting back to, you know, what kinds of um, anti-abortion legislation we might see next session, um, Representative, or sorry, Senator Hughes, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, are there is there concern among lawmakers who are going to sponsor this this legislation that anything you guys might propose is just going to be subject to immediate legal challenge and declared unconstitutional? Well, we always, uh, whether we're talking about uh, uh, pro-life legislation or anything, we always look to how the courts will interpret that, and we try to draft a bill and, and try to follow the law, obviously, whatever the issue is. And again, with House Bill 2, uh, two significant portions of it, what I consider the heart of House Bill 2, this says the little baby in her mother's womb at 20 weeks is protected. That's the law today. It was not even challenged. That's, that's the law today. For that matter, 25 years ago, the state of Pennsylvania outlawed sex selection abortions. It's a, it's a dirty secret, but I think everybody realizes the statistics show us that little girls tend to be aborted at a higher rate than little boys do. So Pennsylvania outlawed that. It was unchallenged. <laughs> It was unchallenged, and uh, it's the law today in Pennsylvania. Probably ought to be in Texas. Many states have that law as well. And so uh, things like that uh, go through the courts all the time. So we're going to look at the guidance the court has given us and pass laws that, that are going to pass constitutional muster, to use that term. So, mm -hmm. yes, we always look at what the courts are saying and what the current law is, so the laws aren't going to be struck down. Um, Ms. Busby, you look like you might have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know where to begin, but I would love to go to the Brian Hughes School of Made-Up Facts. Um, did Pennsylvania pass the law or not? Guys. Did Pennsylvania pass that law 25 you. years ago or not? You know, I think that the state needs to stop interfering in the doctor-patient relationship, the practice of medicine, and private family yeah. medical decisions. When we make these kind of laws so that we can appease lobbyists like Ms. Cook and we can continue to build our power and our wealth by appeasing you know, a small majority of people, I think the majority of Texans oppose these types of restrictions and want people to have the access to the health care that they need. Because when you think about it, when you write these laws and you pass these laws, you don't think about the consequences because you're not a doctor, right? Not yet. Okay. So either, what you? we're seeing today, and I just want to touch on this because it's not discussed enough and I think it needs to be looked at even more, is I'm hearing more and more stories from couples heartbroken going into <laughs> emergency rooms, um, bleeding out from placenta previa or actively miscarrying but it's not complete yet, and ha being turned away from hospitals because hospitals are so mortified of you and your regulations mm -hmm. that they are refusing to treat patients and putting their health and safety at risk. Women are going home actively bleeding out in a pregnancy because they can't get treated in a hospital because the hospital's like, well, there's technically still a fetal heartbeat. If we were to treat you, that would you know, technically be an abortion according to Texas law. These, when when politicians not, practice medicine through that's statutes, crazy. It causes ripple effects of complications that affect people's lives. The truth is that the people of Texas deserve options. They deserve agency and autonomy in making their own medical decisions. They don't need 
you, Senator-elect Hughes, telling them what is best for their family, what is best for their health, what is best for their lives. I know you think that they do, but they don't. We have to As you know, thanks. Guys, let's let the people on stage have the conversation, please. Thank you. We have got to stop treating uh, and, and classifying abortion as health care in Texas. These are unborn children. That's right. That's right. Amen. That's Guys, right. you can't win. That's right. These are unborn. Thank you. These are unborn children whom this, we are deciding that someone's life is less valuable than anyone else's sitting in this room. Who are we to determine that someone else's life is not worth living than ours? We simply do not get to make that decision as a society. And as a society, we have routinely looked back uh, during history when that kind of mindset allowed one group of people to slaughter another group of people based on some difference. We have looked at that and come to regret that is the, what abortion is like in our nation today. Yeah. The pro-life definition can't just be pro-birth. It has to include the mother as well. And, we, and that's what Absolutely. the state of Texas is not yeah. focusing on at all. Um, but the other thing the is, I think if, if, if we really want to reduce the abortion rate, and my goodness, who, who wouldn't want that? But here's the thing, you don't do it by shutting down, and I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly that, that, that abortion is not healthcare, because it, ask the woman who's, who's going in there if she wants to go see someone that's unregulated, unlicensed and such. No, the state of Texas makes sure that women have that safety net. Um, but the best way to prevent an abortion is through family planning, through education, through access to family planning, and, and, and that it's not just on the shoulders of the woman. Because we do that too often is blame the woman uh, or charge the woman with, with this responsibility. But it's also the man's responsibility as well. He should be, and, and our society should, should uh, somehow get the message across to men that they are as responsible as women are. And uh, I think when you have both together, and that's something that the state of Texas can do, um, that, that is something we have to do. And we must, we must. Uh, unfortunately, there are too many. I, I see this in my constituency, and I see it from other people's constituents that call my office, is there is so much ignorance out there about um, what, um, what, how you get pregnant, believe it or not. And also, uh, and, there's, and there's, there's cultural issues. There are, there are the fa there's the fact that you can't find a clinic near you, if, especially if you're in a rural area, all kinds of things. If you're not insured, you work, but you don't have a, you don't have a job that provides insurance. All these things. And we ought to make sure that, that, all, um, that we do follow do doctor's orders. And, and because the other thing about a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of the, the, the birth control pills are also... Um, there are also other kinds of therapies. They help fibroids. They help um, endometriosis, other things that most women have. So that's why I'm saying, and I, I was spoken about on the panel, we, we legislators don't need to be practicing medicine. We didn't go to medical school. Uh, we, need, we need to give doctors the, the tools that they need to provide the best health care for women. I mean, my goodness, we are on the, we are on the verge of so many uh, developments in, in medicine, and that the state of Texas continues to put roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in front of doctors and, and the doctor-patient relationship, that it, it's crazy. I mean, we, we had... We, we had a, man, we, a mandate against 
uh, a vaccine that would provide women protection against cervical cancer. And the state of Texas said, nope, you can't mandate that vaccine. It's the only time we've ever done that. But I, I know that any, any state's ever done that. But again, there's, well, anyway, so I just think we need to get out of the way. And maybe this is a great uh, ele election issue in a Republican primary, but the fact of the matter is it has consequences in women's lives. Not everybody follows what the legislature's doing all the time. They just wake up one day and realize, oh, I've got cervical cancer because I didn't get a vaccine because my mom and dad didn't know about it and because it, it, wasn't in, it could have just easily gone in the slew of those other shots I got at that time. But there's Rebecca, all kinds of things. I'm yeah, sorry. No, I go fine. On, I um, appreciate I, your patience. I have one more question, and then we're going to open it up um, to you all in the audience. We have two microphones right here. Um, but Representative or Senator Hughes, I can't. I'm just going to call be calling you that like just, throughout just, the session too. Just, I apologize. Okay, but thank you. <laughs> um, Senator Hughes, I mean, what are your thoughts on some of the specific things that that Representative Farrar brought up? You know, including family planning, education. Could the legislature, could the state of Texas be doing a better job on those end, on that end, so that uh, women aren't in the situation you where bet. they need to, to obtain an abortion? You bet, and this was a big issue, again, in the, in, in the 2013 session, and we were involved with some of this, Jessica, you'll recall, and Sarah Davis worked pretty hard to put some of this together, because there was a concern that many folks did not want those family planning dollars going to abortion providers, but everyone agreed there should be more money for family planning. So. We segregated out the abortion providers and said we're going to have more money for those providers that do everything except for elective abortions. And as a result, Texas is spending more than they've ever spent on women's health. We're going to continue to do that. This is not a debate about birth control. That's, I don't know, uh, I'm not, a lot of times folks think pro-lifers are Catholics. I'm not. Catholics are great folks. I'm sure we got some Catholics here. I don't care about birth control. That's, that's a separate issue. Control. Yeah, Brian that's, Hughes is pro it's, birth it's control. A, it's, I'm, I'm indifferent. I'm okay. agnostic on it. Agnostic. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. And if you look at our legislation, it does not address birth control. It's about it's about the little unborn baby who's, who's formed in her mother's womb. That's what it's really about. And that's and hey, listen, I don't blame you for not want to talk about it, but that's the little baby is what this is really about, and that's why. We want to focus on her and, and do whatever we can to protect her. Do we want to love and come alongside the mothers in the process? Of course. We've got to do that. We've got to balance that. We're talking about a human life, a human life of a little helpless, precious, innocent, unborn baby. Two, two human lives. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. We want to love them both, and we can protect them both. Um, okay. Well, let's go to questions, um, and I think we'll all be able to kind of address points as we okay. respond. Um, okay. But, um, and then to start, I just, I have three rules for questions. Number one, please ask a question, don't make a speech. Number two, um, we're not gonna be able to accommodate follow-ups because I just wanna give as many people a chance to ask their question. Um, and number three is, let's be polite. All right, <laughs> let's uh, go. Hello, my name's Zach Maxwell. Uh, my question is for Ms. Cook. Uh, I was wondering um, what key piece of legislation do you plan on, you know, pushing for? What legislation do you would you like to see passed through the 85th legislature? Absolutely. Texas Right to Life always prefers legislation that brings the conversation back to the humanity of the unborn child, just like with the 20-week um, protection of babies at five months that Senator Hughes was discussing that went unchallenged in House Bill 2. Uh, we, Texas Right to Life, is spearheading what's called the dismemberment abortion ban, and that would ban procedures that tear the child in the womb apart, limb by limb, uh, bef bef while this child is still alive. Uh, we are think that that's a barbaric, horrific practice. Practice, um, and we are extremely 
extremely confident that the pro-life legislators in both the House and Senate will fill the need to pass this legislation come January. Next question. Hello, my name is Georgi Tatarinsov. Uh, my thing is, um, we all talk about money and budgets and all about protecting the unborn child, not, uh, not thinking about the choice of the, of the woman. Now, my thing is, we all talk about the money of the child protection, but how much are we talking, how, why are we not discussing about if you guys are really willing to save the child, what about raising the money to help the mother to raise the child because she might not be ready because we always talk about one thing, what happens afterwards? Great question. So the Alternatives to Abortion Program, which Texas is spearheaded, actually began by using federal funds. Now we appropriate state funds for it as well. It does a couple of things. It helps the mom with prenatal care if she decides to keep the child. But then after the child is born, we provide social services to the mom and the child. After the child is born, while the child is still growing and developing, does Texas need to do more of that? Yes, we have to. We have to. We want to make sure we're caring for them after they're born as well. So Texas is doing that. Many states aren't. I think Texas is probably one of, if not the highest in the country on providing alternatives to abortion and helping the mother after the child is born. We've got to do that. Except that our investigations, uh, investigations have shown that the priority of those centers is lying to pregnant women, telling them false facts about the effects of abortion, such as the widely, repeatedly discredited link to breast cancer and provide very little in care. I mean, uh, we found that when you go, you get five diapers. I don't know, how many of you have children? Five diapers? <laughs> Come on. They don't actually provide health care. They do pregnancy tests, and they have people who are not licensed medical professionals performing sonograms. They <coughs> shame victims of rape. They give misleading information for people in domestic violence situations. They are dangerous, and we're throwing $18 million per biennium at these centers when they could go. I would love to have a full spectrum, all options pregnancy resource center that helped connect people to food, that did jobs counseling, that provided this counseling and provided these services free of judgment, free of stigma, and allowed for all options that a person would want in their life. That's how we could improve. I mean, Representative, I mean, are these. Senator Hughes, are these uh, more yeah, right about now. dissuading yeah. people from getting an abortion okay, so, than actually providing health care? I mean, how do you uh, okay, respond so let, to yeah, that? Okay, so let me be clear. And again, this is, it's been, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but there's been a conflation of two different programs. The Women's Health Program provides health care for women. It has nothing to do with alternatives to abortion. The Women's Health Program, which is north of $100 million, all right, it provides health care for women, all kinds of health care, a broad, comprehensive health care, not elective abortions. That's one pot of money. The Alternatives to Abortion program addresses the issue that you raised. Thank you. And that is to say, when a mom is, is not sure what she wants to do, she's not sure what her options are, these folks say, yes, you don't have to abort the child. There are other choices. If you want to keep the child, we can help. And those I, programs also include maternity homes and adoption agencies across the state of Texas right. to help, uh, help young women uh, in, in these situations. That's exactly right. All right. Next question. Thank you. Um, so my question kind of builds off of what he asked, except it comes with a couple more numbers. So you're very concerned with protecting these little babies' rights while they're in the womb, but would you be willing to expand Medicare for these newborns and their mothers? I know there is a program that it already does it for a year, but the funding cuts after a year, and it costs about $12,000 just for the first year of life. And like having a child, you end up spending like $800,000 on them over time. And so especially for women that were... They, didn't, they knew that they weren't in the financial position to take on this burden. What kind of programs are you going to put in place 
to help them with that and beyond the first year of life because y'all offer that, but what about when they need daycare and stuff like that when you're working like three jobs? I understand. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't, I doubt Texas Right to Life takes a position on that. Maybe you do on, on funding for health care way down the road. Maybe you do. Let me say, let me say for my part, uh, we've got work to do there. And I'll just, okay, and let me, let me just say I this. Mean, a lot of work. No, so let me, so let me make a point. So I'm, I'm going to address a point that you didn't make. But many times, now this is not going to be pleasant, but forgive me, many times in this debate, not today, but people almost say, it would be better for the child not to be born. Now, you're not saying this, but often people say it would be better for the child not to be born than to be born into poverty, single motherhood. Again, that, that you didn't say that, but we hear that from time to time. Now, uh, so what? Uh, let me just say this. Uh, I'm, as someone who was born to a single mother who was on welfare at the time I was born, uh, I'm thankful that, that she made the choice she made. I'm thankful she had the option she had. Now, again, some folks might differ whether she made the right choice in my case, but... <laughs> But I can, I'm not any kind of an example, but I can say I've enjoyed the richest bounty of the American dream. I think my life, for me, was certainly worth living. Was it hard for her? Yes. Do we want to make it easy for her? Yes. But, does that say, but, but we don't want to say, we don't want to say just because it's going to be tough, let's take the baby's life in the womb. That's, that's not the, that's a false dichotomy. No follow-ups. Thank you. Um, let's go ahead and, yeah, next question. Uh, thank you all for your remarks today. Uh, my question is for the two legislators that we have in the room right now. Uh, given the statistically proven uh, correlation between comprehensive sex education and unwanted pregnancies and Texas's current rates of teen pregnancies, which I think believe is third highest in the nation, what will you two specifically be doing in the upcoming session to improve the sex education we have in our public health care system, as it, or public education system, pardon me, as it stands today? Um, first of all, I will be fighting not pulling my hair out <laughs> because I'm up against a Republican majority that doesn't believe in comprehensive sex ed. Um, and so they, they believe in abstinence only. And I think that was practiced in the 1950s. And uh, we know that that did not work. Um, and, and so I think that uh, I, that's really where we're at. I mean, not, not only do the, the, the same folks we're up against on, on women's health issues, they, they uh, don't recognize. And I think that is what, what I was mentioning earlier about the ignorance about how you get pregnant. Um, uh, is, it's so prevalent. Uh, it's beyond what you, what you would believe. And also, I mean, uh, some people are of the mind that in, in some cultures that the more information you have, the more you'll run out and go have sex if you know more about it. Um, I think the opposite is true. Um, I think that uh, people understand better the consequences of, of what engaging uh, in sex at an early age you know, can be and, and, and so, so on. So, no, I will be fighting uphill, uh, trying to, uh, to getting, getting some of that. Uh, I, I don't pretend that that legislation will be passed because I know what I'm up against, but I think it's important that we continue to talk about it because one day the tide will change. And I'm not an expert on that topic. We need to make sure what we're doing makes sense and it, and it works. And so I'll, I'll look forward to the debate and I'm sure I'll be working with Jessica on some of that. Do you have a specific plan? No, I don't. That's not really something I've focused on. for this? Sir? We talk all, we, hey man, we talk all the time. <laughs> with with calm, calm voices too. When you know. <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Jasmine Wang, and I'm a student senator from the Texas A&M University. And this question is more for Representative Hughes and Ms. Cook. Um, what do you have to say to the women who have to resort to unconventional methods of abortion as a result of lacking reproductive services here in Texas? 
I, there's not there's not a lack of reproductive options in Texas. We there's not. And we have to remember, we're not talking about going to get your foot fixed or, you know, a hangnail taken off. We're talking about an irreversible decision that cannot, that, that takes the life of another human being. Um, we need to stop talking about this issue like it's, like it's some, some tagline and bring the conversation back to the humanity of the unborn child and help the pregnant mom get through this process and, and deliver a healthy child and a, have life-affirming choices for her. We simply can't discuss uh, this as, as some issue that's not part of our American society of, of, who, of who we are as people who value human life across the entire spectrum. Well, it sounds well, we like she saying. disagrees with the premise of the question. Yeah. I think that was yeah. her answer. Um, okay, next person. Okay, so this is really for Representative Farrar and Senator Hughes. First of all, I'm disturbed, Senator Hughes, that you are um, agnostic with regards to contraception and then also uneducated with regard to comprehensive sex ed. I don't think you missed that. Because if you really care about protecting the unborn, it's really easier if we work upstream and prevent those unplanned pregnancies at the beginning. So a specific question, once again, looking ahead to spring, um, around the availability and affordability of long-acting reversible contraceptions, which have greatly reduced unintended pregnancies in Colorado, and it was actually through legislative action that they were able to fund those. And I'm wondering if you've given any thought to the availability and the affordability of LARCs for women of all ages, which includes young women and teens in Texas. I know that on the Appropriations Committee, we look carefully at a number of different uh, proposals and different programs for contraception, and, and this is not going to be popular, but there's always, there always has to be an analysis as to whether a particular form of contraception is, in fact, an abortifacient. Some are, some are not, and so that's, that's always going to be a threshold discussion. Once we get past that, once we get past that, then I'm all for, for methods that work, that are efficient, and give the, the most help they can give. Well, that, that, that's fabulous to hear, actually, because... Larks are not an abortifacient. Great. So, I'm, I'm taking your word for it. I haven't, no, I haven't it's, it's, looked it's at easy. it. It's easy. It's, it's that with yeah. science. Yeah. Representative Farrar? Don't be so hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the, the folks I'm up against uh, don't believe in family planning. I mean, they, they don't believe in contraceptives. They think they are abortifacients. And uh, what, uh, the facts don't have any relevance. Um, I mean, they believe what they believe, and, and, so, and they're running things. And it has a lot to do with elections. So y'all need to show up and, uh, and vote Democratic. And, um, and it, elections have consequences. And, and, but this can be changed. Leadership can be changed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next question. Hi, thank you all for being here. Uh, Ms. Busby, I just really wanted to thank you for pointing out institutional racism in the system because that's a huge thing that we don't bring up very often. Um, and so another thing, right now, the fundamental, I would say the fundamental basis of this argument is based on science. I'm a neuroscience major myself here at UT, so making policies based on the facts and based on the science and not cherry picking what you want is very important to me. And so I guess this is more directed to uh, Ms. Cook and Senator Hughes. Um, where exactly, so you've, you've constantly talked about this idea of, you know, like the unborn baby child and, you know, taking a life, and I wanted to know exactly where you got these um, scientific studies for your reputable sources for this because life is still, in my um, in my knowledge, it's still kind of hazy as to when that happens. And I just wanted to know how much that y'all, um, I guess, have the scientific basis, not just y'all, but like everyone. Like, how much are you relying on science for the 
for policymaking. Yeah, could you give us, you know, yeah. a couple sources for, for yeah. what you've stated up here today? Yeah. You want to go I'm pretty sure that the first introduction to me for uh, when does human life begin was in my biology textbook in high school. Um, we, you know, at, at the moment of fertilization, a unique human being with right. unique There's DNA so cells that get is, fertilized um, and they just die. So no, at the moment right. of conception, no the moment of con conception, right. a new human life is formed with unique DNA that's not going to be replicated somewhere else. So that your biology so textbook. So. High school person. There you go. Okay, well, got okay. it. Okay, let me say, as, as far as this politicians practicing medicine, that, that's, a, that's a nice, you didn't say that, but that's come up before. The people of Texas act through the legislature. The legislature hears testimony from experts on issues pro and con and makes a decision and it has to answer to the voters for the decision we made. That's, we continue to do that. That's how it's supposed to work. Let's talk about this. I think we would all agree that at some point it's a matter of development. We don't threaten people or take their lives because they're short. So at some point, we all agree that that's a human being deserving of protection. Is it a moment before, it, before she comes out of her mother's womb? Is it a week before? I think we'd have to agree that there's, there's, there's going to be an arbitrary line somewhere, unless we say the moment of conception, when those chromosomes come together and that unique human being is formed. I mean, uh, don't we agree that, uh, surely some folks in this room agree that it would be wrong to take the baby's life moments before she came out of her, of her mother's body. Uh, she's not a part of her mother's body, though she's they're very closely related. So at some point, we all agreed protection should be put in place. The question is, at what point? That's what this debate's about. That's why in House Bill 2, the people of Texas through the legislature said at 20 weeks, we're going to protect a little baby. There was testimony. Dr. Dennis Bonins is a, is a brain surgeon. It really is brain surgery. And he said at 20 weeks, the little baby inside her mother's womb responds to stimulus. Everything that we, everything we, the heart rate goes up, everything we associate with pain, that little baby at 20 weeks can feel. So if that's helpful to you, so, docs testified about that and we, we listened to them and that's, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Um, yeah, let's just, but I just want to, I, I was going to ask Senator Hughes is, I mean, do you have um, direct sources that you can say, okay, this is what I turn to? It sounds like you have more kind of through your experiences as a legislature come to a conclusion that where you well, think this is the most... Well, just like for you, the most reasonable. Way well, sure, to go. and everyone on this panel does that. There's going to be expert witnesses that are going to say it's here. Others are going to say it's here. Again, I think we all agree that at some point that little unborn baby, or if you want to call her a fetus, at some point she's deserving of protection. I surely we all agree on that. The question is where. Different experts testify before the legislature uh, about where that line is, and so there's plenty of science involved in this. But at some point. We've got all, the little baby has all the chromosomes she's going to ever have when that, when that fertilization takes place. Uh, everything is there. It's just a question of development. It's just a question of growth um, from that point. Okay, Representative Farrar. Yeah, uh, whatever Dr. Bonin said, I just want to point out that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists uh, disagree with that. So does, uh, do articles in the New England Journal of Medicine and also articles in, in JAMA as well. Next question. Anyway. Uh, Senator Lect Hughes, you constantly talk about the saving of the unborn little humans, yes, but you know it's pro-life and not pro. It's pro-life and pro-choice, not pro-life and pro-not life. So why are you fighting so hard to save this baby's life, and instead of, but in turn, you discredit the woman's right to choose and her right to privacy, which is a right implied in the first, fourth, ninth, and fourteenth amendments? Yes, ma'am. There's not a more. Uh a more difficult or a more visceral issue that, that the legislature and the and people deal with. And it's, it's not a tougher debate than this. And so if we acknowledge, if we believe the little unborn baby in her mother's womb is a human being, then that changes the whole debate. 
if, if, if that's a clump of tissue, a clump of flesh, then it's very different. If we believe that it's a little unborn baby inside there, it makes it a whole lot more complicated, and that's what we have to deal with. So we want to protect the mother's rights while we acknowledge there's another human being involved in the equation. That's what makes it complicated. Okay, I think we have time for uh, one more question. Hello, and thank you all for being here today. My name is Nikia, and um, I have so many questions, and I know that I can only pick one. Um, and I guess the most pressing one right now is that um, when Wendy Davis sold her filibuster for HB2, the Capitol was filled with all of these women that HB2 presumably would have been um, to protect. But these women were very vocally saying, this is not something that we want. This is something that we specifically do not want. Um, is it that you feel that these are women who don't understand the process of fertilization and birth? Or like, I don't understand what it is that makes it so you would not listen to these women who are who are giving their stories and who are so adamantly against this bill. Well, I would just when yeah. during that summer when all the folks were here protesting pro and con, there were thousands of women who were there in favor of House Bill 2. Uh, to say, suggest that every woman was there for, against the bill is, uh, respectfully, it wasn't, that, it, wasn't that, it wasn't quite that simple. There were thousands of protesters for the bill and against the bill, male, female, of all ages, of all races and all religions and no religion. Many pro-lifers don't approach it from a religious standpoint. So to answer your question, we listen to everyone, particularly the folks in our districts. We listen to everyone. We try to make the best choice with what we have and, and answer to the voters after that. Just say, as someone yeah. was there, the halls were orange. We were all wearing orange, and those halls were orange. They were not blue, which was the other side. There were you know spattering um, the, the, of T-shirts and blue, but, but not nearly. I've never seen women and men, by the way. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, it swell. I mean, they had to close the doors to the Capitol because it had exceeded the occupancy permit. I mean, it, and I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but yeah, it was overwhelming. You're absolutely right. The women of Texas spoke, and the state leadership dismissed it. <clears throat> All right, I think that's going to do it. Okay, one more question, since I've been kind of hard on you guys during this panel. Um, <laughs> then we so, really have to go. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, so, admittedly, I came into this discussion not being extremely educated on the issue, and I'm sort of disappointed with the amount of appeal to emotion um, from both sides, which I understand... It's a deeply personal issue. Um, but as someone who, who wanted to learn more on a practical level, I feel like there is a lacking in that area. So specifically as a constituent of, um, from, from Tyler All right. um, to the senator-elect, I would want to know if you could do one thing without any opposition in the legislature in this next session, one specific thing regarding women's reproductive health care, what would you do? And then also for Ms. Busby, if you could go unopposed uh, in the next session, what would you do? What would you have done? Oh, and let's see if we can answer that in one sentence each. Okay, thank you. <laughs> if I were king, if this was going to become the law, okay. We would protect the little innocent human lives from conception to natural death, and we'd come alongside the mothers and love them and help them to give them the help they need all the way through the process. That's what we do if I were king. Ms. Busby. Um, mine would be an omnibus bill that would codify that families have the right to make their own private medical decisions and that doctors can practice medicine specific to the patient and the patient's needs. But also I would have it be an omnibus bill that provided equal pay, 
paid family leave, paid sick leave, fully fund education, fully fund health care. I mean, my dream bill would be that, something that would provide a full spectrum support for families. That would be pro-life. <laughs> All right. I want to thank all of you in the audience for coming and especially thank my four panelists up here. You guys, you guys were great. Thanks. Thank you.